Hey video game fans, I'm Ben Bertoli, and this is Memory Card. Push is off this week, and joining me as a special guest is someone who I've mentioned at the end of every single episode to date. That's right, all the way from Melbourne, Australia, it's the chiptune sensation, Jamatar. How you doing, Jam? I'm good, thanks. How you going? I am going very well. Are you ready to lay down some sick gaming history here for us? I sure am. All right. Well, let's get this party started. So before we get into your topic today, I need a quick background on you, on Jamatar. How did you get into gaming and how did you get into chiptune music? Yeah, gaming, um, I started when I was a kid. I started off with a Game Boy, an original Game Boy in 1989. My parents bought it for me for my birthday, and ever since then, uh, I've been playing lots of games and um, also playing music. I started playing in bands, so first I was playing in indie bands, and then uh, I was playing in a folk band, and then I kind of got sick of playing in bands, and I started my own project. And um, I discovered in Melbourne, there's this amazing scene for chiptune music. And chiptune music is where you make music using video game systems. There's some really amazing Game Boy musicians here, uh, Atari and Amiga musicians as well, and C64 musicians. Hmm. They, there's a few festivals here. There's um, a main one called Square Sounds that runs every year. And I kind of went along to a few of them, and I was talking to a few of the guys who were super friendly uh, and just asked, how do you get started? And they're like, just make a bunch of tracks and send it to, through to us. And, you know, the scene's pretty small you'll probably be able to uh, get some gigs and, you know, if it's good, we'll, we'll get you along to play at some of the open mics and stuff. And so, yeah, I recorded a, uh, a short EP of tracks and sent it through and they loved it. And I played an open mic and it just sort of all went from there. Lots of people really loved the stuff I was playing and I got onto the main bill at Square Sounds, I think it was two years ago. And I've just been gigging since then. And it's a, just a really fun little project. Wow. So how long have you been doing this? When did you get into the chiptune scene? Uh, I think about four years ago now. So it would have been 2016, maybe end of 2015. Oh, okay. So what instruments did you play before you got into, you know, playing Game Boys? Yeah, I play um, guitar and piano. And um, I sort of kept the guitar thing going. So on stage, I use a laptop and uh, a guitar and a Game Boy Color. Is it just one Game Boy Color that you use? Yeah, yeah. I've had this um this one Game Boy. I built it right at the start, so it's got a couple of mods so it can do custom sound and it's got a really nice clean line output. And it's got a backlit screen as well, so I can use it on stage. <laughs> and I kind of built a bunch of like backup ones just in case that one broke and it never broke and it's been going ever since. Wow. It's my most consistent stable Game Boy. So is there some kind of software that you plug into the Game Boy, like into the actual slot, or is it just through the computer? Yeah, it's a custom cartridge that um, is running some software that was written by a guy in the US. His name is Tim, uh, and he goes by the name Trash80. <laughs> I was going to say, I was waiting for some really cool handle there. <laughs> <laughs> Trash80 is his handle, yeah. And he's an amazing guy. He wrote from scratch the software, and what it does is it converts MIDI into Game Boy Link cable. So basically, the cable where you transfer your Pokemon, mm -hmm. you can actually plug... Uh, a MIDI connector into there 
and send it notes like it's a synthesizer. Oh, wow. And then you can mess around with the synth settings on the Game Boy screen, and it plays sound out of the line output, and then you can mix that back in with all the rest of your stuff. That sounds awesome. I've never been very musically inclined, but uh, I think like I, I could mess around with some chiptune. Not that I'd be good at it, but at least, you know. <laughs> oh, we try and tell everyone, get your hands on something and mess around, because that's part of the fun is the experimentation, and we really try and keep it there super open. Anyone who wants to have a go, please jump on, come to an open mic, you know, mm-hmm. get out there and get into your scene and, and just have fun, because it's all about having fun. You're on stage with a Game Boy. If you're not having fun, something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> even if even if the crowd's not having fun, you can still, you know, play Link's Awakening or something. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Better know what's on the screen. Yeah. So, chiptune aside, what do you want to talk about today? Well, yeah, uh, recently I went for a holiday to Japan. And while I was perusing um, the secondhand video game stores, I found a piece of hardware called the Sega Mega Jet. And I didn't know anything about it. It was just sitting in a corner wrapped in plastic. I quickly got out my phone and Googled it <laughs> and realized that it's just a really tiny Mega Drive. Oh, wow. I never, ever heard of it before. And so I went down this rabbit hole of learning everything about it. And um, it's basically a Mega Drive that was first brought out to be played on a plane, hence the name uh, Mega Jet. Oh, I see. Yeah. And it was um, made for uh, Japan Airlines. Uh, for the business and first class flights. Mm-hmm. Basically, you could rent this little game machine out and you could play a game on an international flight. Just while you were cruising through the air? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think what happened was that they started to install LCD screens into planes. And this was in 1994. And you can imagine LCD screens, you know, we really take it for granted that everything has a screen. But back in the day, if you were on a plane, you had a TV that everyone watched and it was at the front of the of the plane. <laughs> so having your own screen was a really big deal. And I think what Japan Airlines wanted to do was to sort of, obviously they're getting screens and people can watch movies, but just take it to the next level. You could play games in your airplane seat and, you know, it really showed off the technology. Did you rent games from the airline themselves or did you bring your own games? Yeah, you could rent games um, from the airlines. So they had a choice of six games. They were Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Puyo Puyo, Super Monaco Grand Prix 2, J League Pro Striker, Pro Golf 2, and Mahjong. Nice. (laughs) And they sound like really boring games. And I realized as well when I was researching this that um, the Mega Jet was only available for uh, seats with LCD screens, and that was only business class and first class. Oh. So these are all like old man games for <laughs> <laughs> for business fed, basically. Yeah, well, I don't know if Sonic the Hedgehog is considered an old man game, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> they, really, they they want to feel young again. Yeah, yeah, become yeah. the Hedgehog. So could you bring your own games on board to play? Yeah, uh, it had a cartridge slot in the top, so you could bring your own, um, plug them in and out. Yeah. You know, my dad recently went to my grandparents' uh, house to kind of clean things out in their attic, and he found a, like, big suitcase that was just full of Genesis games, and now I'm wondering if maybe my grandma was just secretly, you know, flying to and from Japan (laughs) and and gaming out with her giant suitcase full of (laughs) Genesis games. I totally think that that might have been a thing. That's my (laughs) new theory. I'm sticking with it. My mum used to play my Mega Drive more than me, I think. And I, she nearly beat Sonic before me. And that was like, 
the most shameful part of my youth. <laughs> so my mom nearly beat Sonic before me. <laughs> yeah. Now you live in Australia, obviously. It was it called the Mega Drive there? Yes. Yeah. We we basically get all of the Europe stuff oh, okay. in Australia. So we're like considered part of Europe. Because here it's called the Sega Genesis. Yeah. If people are listening to this and they have no idea what you're talking about, talking about the Sega Genesis. That's right. The Mega Jet was never called the Genesis because it was never released in the US. I mean, obviously you got a hold of it somehow. It wasn't still in it wasn't still owned by the airlines at that point. So what happened after the whole up in the air scene? Yeah, so it came out actually in nineteen ninety three. And then in 1994, they released a retail version. Mm. So when it came out, it was actually a collaboration between JAL and Sega. And in an article that was released, a promotional article for the original Megajet, they said that JAL wanted to sell it through their catalog, but they couldn't sell it because the AV cables and power were hardwired into the unit. And they said the only way that they could make it work in a consumer sense would be by putting batteries in it, and batteries would make it too heavy. It was the lightest Mega Drive that was ever made. It was only 300 grams, which is 250 grams lighter than the Mega Drive 2. And that's from the JAL promotional article as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the JAL version was branded with a JAL sticker on top, and then they released it in retail, and it had an MD on top, and that was just for Mega Drive. And they actually brought out another version, which was for a car, and it was um, in collaboration with Alpine. So they had an Alpine sticker on the Megajet, and it had a um, cigarette lighter that you could use to power it. Oh, wow. Yeah, the retail version was a little bit altered. It had uh, a proper AC socket, and it had a proper AV output as well. So it was compatible with component and RGB. So that's that's how they fixed that issue of it's all hardwired in? They just yeah. changed the wires? Yeah, oh, they, okay. <laughs> you can see on the Japan airline model, it's slightly different. It's very much like a, a unit that was just all contained that you could give to, you know, a consumer. And then they would just plug a single cable into the LCD screen. Whereas the um, retail one is a bit more like a console. It's got your, you know, AV in and out. It's got your power and the sound, I guess, comes out of the the AV socket. Whereas in the JAL one, the only way to get sound out of it was to plug headphones into it. Hmm. So yeah, the, the retail version went on sale only in Japan. It's estimated that uh, between five and 10,000 units were sold, and then it was pretty much discontinued after that. So, I mean, as far as sales go, that doesn't sound like it's super great, right? Yeah, it was just a really small run, and I think that they sort of created the Megajet for JAL. They realized that they could possibly do some small alterations and actually package it up in a retail sort of setting and it was in that really short period of time between the Mega Drive 2 and I think they were launching the Saturn. I'm assuming the one that you found was uh just the normal Mega Drive model. It wasn't one of the ones for the airplanes or the cars. Yeah, it's the it's the Japan retail version. Uh so it can only play um Japan games, it can't play US games or Europe games. Mm. And I don't think it's very compatible with any of the extras. So you can't plug like a 32X into it. Um, it's not compatible with any of the expansion slot stuff, like the CD ROMs or anything like that. What does it look like? Like, uh, you know, most people know what a Mega Drive or a Genesis looks like, but what does the what does the Mega Jet look like? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a portable console, except it doesn't have a screen. Hmm. So it's like a controller, basically. It's controller size. It's really light. You can hold it in your hands, and um, it's got a slot on the top, but 
uh, where you think a screen would be is just a MegaJet logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like it's like a weird semi-portable console where you still need a TV to play it, but it's super portable and it's super small. Are the buttons on it, or do you plug a controller into it? Yeah, it's got a control pad and it's got six buttons on top, wow. and or it's got a second player slot, so you can get a second player in as well. So it's really the entire control pad is like set into the the unit. Oh wow! Yeah, you weren't kidding. That thing is wild. It's like the most like. 80s 90s thing i've ever seen in my life yeah it was the main reason why i saw it it was in a japanese store called super potato in nagoya um which is like a secondhand retro game store and it was just like sitting in the corner there was just one of it it was priced way higher than all of the other mega drives and i just didn't know what it was i had never ever seen one at all in my life yeah i've been to super potato before but i think i've been there twice and i'm just kind of overwhelmed (laughs) by the amount of cool stuff that I, uh, I I never know. How much did you end up uh, spending on it, if you don't mind me asking? I think it was about 300 uh, US, maybe a little bit less, maybe uh, 280 US. Oh, wow. Whereas you could get a Mega Drive for about 60 US. And I, I was really, un- I'm ignoring, I, I literally stood in the store for about 15 minutes, like texting all my friends saying, <laughs> should, I, should I spend $300? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Super Potato is known for having great selection, but they're also known for being a little pricey compared to most other used stores. So yeah, I could see that, but it sounds, it sounds like uh, it was worth it. That, that's quite a, quite a find there. Yeah, they're they're ultra rare. And on eBay, they're going for upwards of five to 600 US. So that really pushed me over the edge. I was like, well, Hmm. it's probably worth something, so I should probably just get it. (laughs) Hey, folks, we're putting this episode on pause for a moment to reveal how you can help Memory Card. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to support our gaming history endeavors, you should consider pledging a dollar or two to our Patreon. For a single dollar a month, you'll receive special updates and be given the option of ad-free episodes. You won't have to hear this ad, the one that you're currently listening to, ever again. For $2 a month, you'll become an official member of Club 251, which gives listeners access to exclusive bonus content and detailed transcripts via our memory card website. Every little bit pledged helps us improve the show and grow memory card into something even more wonderful. Find out more on the support section of our website or at patreon.com backslash memcard. That's patreon.com backslash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. And now, back to the show. So yeah, the Megajets were never released outside of Japan, so they were kind of super rare to find outside, uh, unless you sort of lucked out on an eBay listing. Um, You couldn't really get your hands on one. But then a really large stock of surplus Megajets came out, and they were found at a warehouse, and it was a very... Um, strange story, but basically there's an online forum called Edge Magazine, and they one of the users said, um, hey, I've I found a, a warehouse that's shutting down, and there's just a big box of Megajets, so <laughs> if people want them, I'll sell them for £45 pounds and uh, £5 pounds of shipping, and um, if you just sign up, I'll, I'll get these across to you. It was kind of a bit vague and a bit sketchy. It was one guy who organized this group by but I think he had a couple hundred of them. Mm-hmm. So people signed up for it. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know all they knew. It was, it was rare. You know, 50 pounds isn't too much money to sort of put down on something like this. Yeah. Edge forums used to be really beta. I think it used to go up and down lots. And I think it actually went down before the group buy finished. 
So lots of people were were wondering, you know, <laughs> where did these mega jets come from? Are they real? <laughs> What's going on? And there were lots of rumors flying around. One of the rumors was that this stock of mega jets was actually from a seized cargo that was stolen by Indonesian pirates. Oh wow! But I think <laughs> I think that that rumor. <laughs> came out because of the sketchiness of the group buy and that no one knew what was going on. So they didn't know whether <laughs> they were going to get it. didn't know what, the, uh, but they knew it was real. They knew the mega jet was a real thing, but apparently this guy, you know, he tried really hard. He was doing everything on his own. He had a spreadsheet of everyone who bought one and he got every single one of them out to uh, the people who bought them. And so uh, there's quite a lot of mega jets who are out there that are out there and they might be from that group buy. That were stolen by pirates. Yeah, maybe they were. Or aliens or something. I mean, <laughs> I'd like to we think. Should, we should just add to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're, you know, you're a sound guy with all your chiptune stuff. How, uh, how's the sound quality on the Mega Jet? Is it, is it as good as the Mega Drive or? Yeah, it's got the same sound chip as the Mega Drive. And the Mega Drive has a really, really distinct um, sound chip. You probably, I think going back and playing retro gaming now, you can really hear the difference between like a Super Nintendo and an NES and a Master System and a Mega Drive. Mm -hmm. And the Mega Drive actually had a um, an FM sound chip inside of it. It was a Yamaha YM2612 FM sound chip. And it was a really common sound chip that was used in lots of arcade machines. And it was actually a very similar sound chip used in like full-size Yamaha synthesizers like the Yamaha DX7, the DX100. Hmm. It's really notoriously hard to program for because so something like a super nintendo has what's called a wavetable sound chip so you make sounds out of actual recordings so if you want a violin you actually get a little sample of a violin and you can play it back on a keyboard and it will sound like a violin oh. whereas on a mega drive if you want to make a violin you've got a set of algorithms that you have to mix together and you have to oh, basically combine these different formulas until you get something that's kind of violin sounding. And that's why the, the sound quality is also always kind of a bit strange, a bit like it's got a real raw sort of jarring sound. And it's because of that strange FM synthesis. Sounds like something you wouldn't want to do on stage during open mic night, right? You could. I think you can get some <laughs> very interesting uh, experimental sounds out of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually bought a uh, cartridge and system, and it's made by a local Adelaide um, guy in Australia. His name is Little Scale. He wrote a custom cartridge and system so you could use MIDI and access the sounds on the Mega Drive. So I bought one of those systems, and I'm going to try and make music using my Mega Jet. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, you might as well put it to good use after uh, finding it in Japan and bringing it all the way back, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been playing Sonic on it and Echo the Dolphin, but I, I want to try and make some music on it. I think it's got a really interesting sound. So what's your favorite Mega Drive Genesis soundtrack? What game do you think has is the best? Probably, I think there's two games. One is Road Rash 2, which was made by EA Games. Mm -hmm. That had a really interesting soundtrack because it was a lot of rock music and they, they used the FM sound chip really well to sort of recreate that arcadey rock sound and it sounds very arcadey it's a it's got a very arcadeish sort of sound um also sonic 3 has an absolutely amazing soundtrack as well it's actually rumored that michael jackson wrote most of the music for sonic 3 but then he went through a bunch of oh yeah i've heard that yeah he went he got hit by a few scandals and then maybe sega 
uh, distance themselves from him. Mm-hmm. There's an amazing YouTube video. Um, I can't remember the name of it. They they compared a lot of Michael Jackson's music and releases that came out after Sonic 3 to the music that came out in Sonic 3. And there's, you know, the same chord structures, some of the same sounds and some of the same sort of um, tones that are used in, in some of the songs. And it, it's it's really, there's a really strong case that that actually happened. It was Michael Jackson who wrote the music. Yeah, that sounds like it could be its its own episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I say that every episode about something, but that's good. That means we got plenty of material for the future. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything else about the Megajet you feel like uh, we should know? Yeah, so the Megajet, it wasn't around for a very short time, but it did actually pave the way for the Sega Nomad. Um, the Sega Nomad was basically a Game Gear, but with Mega Drive internals. So a standalone portable Mega Drive but it had a screen. And all of the Eternals are the same as the Mega Jet, so the same chipsets. Uh, it's not exactly the same PCB, but if the Mega Jet wasn't created with Japan hmm. Airlines, I don't think the Nomad would have ever come out. And you could actually plug full games into the Nomad too, right? Just like the, the Mega Jet? Yeah, it was exactly the same. Basically, the, the Mega Jet is a Nomad without a screen. Didn't the Nomad run on batteries, though? Yep, the Nomad had a battery pack notoriously like a lot of batteries and it kind of destroyed them pretty quickly <laughs> yep the game gear was known for running only a few hours from double mm-hmm. batteries and the nomad was worse than the game gear it's like it runs it has color mobile color and then it's like but it lasts you know 30 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> all right well that's super interesting i had no idea about the mega jet and i really i mean i had heard of the nomad but i didn't know that there was any relation there between those two. Yeah, neither did I. And it was so cool to see one. And, you know, it's kind of really rare when you go out searching for retro stuff to actually see something that um, you've never seen before in your life. And mm-hmm. that was a really cool moment for me. I, I really, when I saw it, I knew I had to have it. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that you could, like, afford it and actually take it back with you is is the next step up. I mean, that's like every collector's dream. Yeah, that's right. And I'm, I'm going to treasure it and baby it for a long time. <laughs> well, you'll have to get back to us when you've made some, uh, some killer tracks with it. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you'd like to promote uh, that you've put out recently that you think folks should uh, give a listen to? Yeah, I've got a new EP that just came out. It's actually the EP that contains Midori, which is the track that's used as the intro and outro of Memory Card. Oh, perfect. The EP is called Midoriski, which means I like green, basically. (laughs) Uh, And it's because my Japanese teacher used to comment how all of my pencil cases and pens and accessories were green. And she used to ask me, Midoriski desu ka? (laughs) Do you like like green? And I would say yes. (laughs) That's amazing. We'll have to throw uh, one of your tracks at the end of uh, after the credits here so people can can get a good good idea of, of what to look forward to. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, Jam. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a longtime listener and I love your work and I'm going to keep listening in the future. Thanks for listening to Memory Card. I'd like to give another shout out to my guest host, Jamatar. He's provided us with the opening and closing music for every single one of our episodes to date. 
You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. Stay tuned after the credits to hear a fresh track from his new EP, Midoriski. If you have any feedback on the podcast or want to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or on our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow me, I can be found at SuperBenTendo. Push, who will return next week, can be found at PushDustin. If you haven't considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon, we hope you will. Join the growing list of awesome people like Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Stuart Radley, Harrison, and Daniel Palmer. We thank all of you from the bottom of our nerdy hearts. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com backslash memcard. And now, without further ado, here is the Jamatar track Lilyski from the EP Midoriski. <laughs> 